class that we have on Tuesday night, we've progressed to Galatians chapter 5, and the discussion here is freedom in Christ. Um, we've cut out, I've cut out the uh, portion where we're reading the scripture, but this is, uh, I think, in and of itself, a nice introduction to uh, Paul's understanding of freedom. Several things are happening in five, but we need to we need to set it up. And I've entitled this first section "Narrative Freedom." The chapter five begins, you know, that you're free in Christ. And the way that Paul has set up both slavery and freedom is in terms of storytelling. And I I think we could almost we would make a mistake to overlook the fact that. The entire book of Galatians, like the New Testament, like Scripture itself, is couched in narrative. And so I don't think this is a secondary way at getting what it means to be free in Christ. But rather, it is precisely through a narrative reality, a narrative understanding that we're going to be able to grasp this freedom. Paul's point is some are coming in, they're telling you a bad they're telling you a false story. And I've told you the true story, and we need to narr- you need to narrate your story according to the revelation that you have in Christ. So this is not the narrative reality is not simply a form that's adopted to communicate, but it is in fact the personal reality. I think it's the only form that is uh, fitting for a God and human beings who are personal. In other words, it's not merely facts about God or facts about Christ, but it's this narrative understanding in which our, our theology is grounded. Our understanding of who Christ is is in the story of the Gospels. Uh, the story of the church, you know, unfolding in the book of Acts. Our own story as we are in Christ. You know, think of, many think the book of Acts has no clear ending because the story continues with us, that the story of the spread of the church is in fact our story, that as we narrate or understand who we are, we look at it through the open-ended aspect of Acts. This is the, you know, Hans Urs van Balthasar puts it, you know, that like it's a, uh, a drama that, that we've joined. N.T. Wright has talked about, it's as if there were four acts to a play, and then uh, the fifth act was not written, but we then, are acting out this fifth act. So, the Judaizers are re-narrating the story of the gospel. Uh, Paul says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him. Uh, and so that this is the very opening in, in Galatians 1, 6-9. Uh, they're preaching a different gospel. They're telling a different story. They're distorting the gospel of Christ. I think that we could describe our failure to be Christians or our failure 
then to come to Christ, however we might describe that, as in fact a kind of stunted narrative, a misshapen narrative, that in some way we all tell a story about our lives, but that story needs correction, it needs uh, it needs fulfilling, it needs uh, you know the completion that's there in Christ. Um, even Paul's own story, uh, he's saying, you know, that uh, he's describing before he was a Christian that he misunderstood. He said, you've heard of my former manner of life. Then he's talking about the gospel. He says, no man told me this story. It's a revelation that's come from God. Uh, and then the idea that I, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. And so uh, the life which I now live, the story that he's describing as his own, uh, has been taken up in Christ. I did this last night for our marriage group. Um, it was so good. <laughs> Vertigo. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, this is this is uh, this is Alfred Hitchcock's genius, uh, but I think it's the genius of any good storyteller that when you watch a Hitchcock movie, you know, you begin, you're watching the movie, and you think, oh well, this is a you know fairly ordinary Hollywood love story, but then another story intersects. And suddenly everything that happens or had happened up to that point is re-narrated. And that's true in, in Vertigo. You know, you have this sort of ordinary story, a detective following a woman, and then it's all shocking and I won't tell you the whole story. Same thing with Psycho, you know. Uh, and Psycho gets at what Hitchcock is doing in a lot of his movies uh, that it's a psychological thriller. They're, they're not horror movies where people get out chainsaws and hack people up. They're horror movies because you're seeing one frame of reality and suddenly a different frame, a different understanding is put upon that. Now that makes for frightening stuff, but what I'm saying is, well, we can take that in a kind of positive way and understand that's precisely what's happening in the gospel that we have one understanding, perhaps outside of Christ, or maybe even a misunderstanding in Christ, and we need to reframe that understanding. We need to re-narrate that story, and everything then is changed up. So, uh, this is the failure to do what I'm saying. You may say, oh, this is so basic, you know. Uh, but actually, it's precisely this, the failure to do to read Galatians with this narrative understanding that has given us about three different readings of the book and three different understandings of Paul. And so what I'm saying is I think with this narrative structure, we can bring these things together. I don't think I'm going to keep Luther's justification by faith. We can, you know, I think he's just mistaken with that. But, you know, what has often happened, I mean, the idea of imputed righteousness with Luther, uh, that understanding of justification by faith. But what has tended to happen in recent scholarship surrounding the book of Galatians, you have people who are talking about the new perspective on Paul. Does everybody know new perspective? 
the idea that the law is then not, as Luther thought, some works righteousness understanding, but the law then was simply an ethnic marker of who the Jews were. And so it's a rereading of the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So some are reading Galatians with only that perspective. Other are reading it with a kind of apocalyptic understanding. Apocalypse meaning, you know, that a new world is breaking in. But I think that what I'm describing is that God's uh, action in Christ is both, if we, if we narrate it in the way I'm saying, yes, Paul is using the narrative structure that is there in the Old Testament, but he's also then interpreting that through the apocalyptic understanding. That is, the new world, new creation is breaking in, and that's there in Galatians 5 because we see the new Jerusalem from above is displacing the Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem. Um, I got a, you all know who Jesse is. Jesse has a friend named Ryan. Ryan sent me a paper this week, and I'm going to quote from it. I thought it was pretty good. He says, Paul's thinking is bounded, controlled, and shaped by two interlocked narratives. His understanding of God's covenant with Israel and the apocalyptic narrative, there's the two things, covenant with Israel, covenant understanding, uh, apocalyptic understanding, in which God is engaged in battle with forces, not the least of which are sin and death, that have enslaved creation, including especially humanity. Paul absolutely and firmly swims in both streams. But his understanding of both is modified by God's action in Jesus. That is, Paul has not ceased being a Jew or understanding that salvation has come through the Jews and through Abraham. But he's re-narrated that understanding. That's what we're getting in Galatians. So he remained, as N.T. Wright says, a deeply Jewish theologian who had rethought and reworked every aspect of of his native Jewish theology in light of the Messiah and the Spirit, uh, resulting in his own vocational self-understanding as the apostle to the pagans. So this narrative understanding, I think, is significant theologically. This is the way to apprehend what Paul is doing. Once we grasp the covenantal narrative the apocalyptic narrative that is Galatians, um, then we can begin to see the world that Paul is inviting us to inhabit. Uh, we can put together the idea of covenant apocalypse. N.T. Wright says, The story of the new exodus in Christ and the homeward journey of God's people led by the Spirit provides the setting for incorporative and participationist language. This is over and against the old Lutheran reading, right? In other words, the way you're saved in a Lutheran Calvinist understanding is not so much through participation in Christ, but it's through an imputed legal righteousness. Again, that leaves out the narrative reality that is being described. Because of, the, of sin and the distortion of Torah by the people to whom it was given, 
The fulfillment of the covenant cannot come about uh, as an apocalyptic event. Uh, I'm sorry, cannot but come about but as an apocalyptic event. That is, yes, here is the covenant with Abraham, but it is reworked, under, re-understood through the new creation understanding that is there in Christ. So this is how God is faithful to the covenant. It will take all of the letter to Romans to set this forth in detail and most of the rest of the New Testament and, of course, the book of Galatians. So it is this narrative articulated uh, in, throughout Galatians that begins, he be, talks about Abraham. Remember in chapter 4 he talks about, the, he uses the allegory of Hagar and Sarah. So... Uh, he means this, you know, he is using, it will take all of the letter to Romans to set this forth in detail, and most of the rest of the New Testament, and of course the book of Galatians. So it is this narrative articulated uh, in throughout Galatians that begins, he be, talks about Abraham, remember in chapter 4 he talks about, the, he uses the allegory of Hagar and Sarah, so... Uh, he means this, you know, he is using an allegory, um, but it is an allegory that is be- building on the idea that while the story of the Exodus is realized through the narrative that Christ is bringing us to a, a new Exodus. Um, when the dust settles, and this is N.T. Wright again, and God's renewed people look, look around and they discover that this apocalyptic event is indeed the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. They never thought it would be fulfilled in the way it is. Um, So let's talk then about what is happening in chapter 5 in terms of freedom and slavery. What is freedom? Well, first of all, we have to ask, what what has been enslaving people? Um, Paul has talked about the elemental principles of the world. Um, he's compared this to the narrative of a tutor, you know, and actually the tutor we all understand is not actually an educator, but it's the slave who brings the child to the school. So that is the picture of the way that the law has functioned. The law is a kind of enslaving reality along with sin and death uh, in that the law treated those under it as children. That is, they were not, uh, as Christ says, you know, he says, I've called you friends. That was not the case under the law, that you were more like slaves. Um, So they they didn't understand uh, the nature of even where they were going. Uh, under the law, to say nothing of the education that would occur once they got there. So there's two, Paul has compared it in chapter 4 to two covenants, and what I could say in this line of thinking, there's two stories. Think psycho, or think uh, vertigo. There's the ordinary linear story of the law Limited by geography, uh, uh, limited by, you know, the things that they can see 
and understand the son by the bondwoman, Paul says, was born according to the flesh. This is just the way things ordinarily work. Uh, we all know where Mount Sinai is, Paul says. It's there in Arabia. I'm not sure we're that certain anymore where it was, but have you been to Mount Sinai, Faith? Um, but the point is, we can see the mountain. We can see the way this thing works. In vertigo, this is Madeline, you know, from an ordinary understanding. And he says, this is Hagar, Mount Sinai in Arabia, Jerusalem, the physical city. Did you ever, C.S. Lewis uses the illustration of the flatlanders. You know, the flatlanders are just living on a two-dimensional space. And so they, they can't see anything but other than those two dimensions. And so if somebody uh, from, you know, uh, multiple dimensions even reaches into that two-dimensional space, it just appears like a flat hand. You know, even, uh, in a sense, that's the picture that Paul gives us under the law. The law is this two-dimensional reality. Uh, but Paul's point is that uh, the law points beyond this two-dimensional understanding to a larger dimension. The, the flat story is not to be read as an end in itself. Paul says in uh, 4.21, Tell me what you want to, uh, who you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? In other words, the law is pointing beyond this two-dimensional reality. Then he uses the uh, illustration of Sarah. She's the free woman. Uh, and she then is the one who is giving uh, the, given the fulfillment of the promise. The Jerusalem here above is free. So when Paul's talking about freedom in Christ, this is, you know, the Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, the two, you know, dimensional uh, Madeline, Vertigo, Psycho. I don't, we don't need to bring in all those, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, they can't see the Jerusalem from above. They can only, they only know of the one Jerusalem. Paul says the Jerusalem from above is our mother. Rejoice, barren, and then he's quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah then is talking about a theme that is there throughout the Old Testament. What's the worst situation you can be in? To be a barren widow, right? Because in that understanding, you cannot have offspring to carry on your name. But in Isaiah then, God says to Israel, I will be your husband. And the barren woman who does not bear shall break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. And Paul's going to use the illustration. Remember, he's already talked about that I'm in the birth pangs of labor as I'm giving, you know, in regard to you Galatians, I'm giving birth to you as my children. So more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a brother, or rather who has a husband. I'm sorry, not a brother. Um, and you, and this is where the word brother comes in, are like Isaac. You're the children of the promise. You're not the flatlanders under the law. 
uh, you know, you're, so if we did, you know, it's the promise versus the flesh. Jerusalem uh, of the earth from Jerusalem above. Remember, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. That's, it doesn't mean that it's not in this world. It just means that the source of the kingdom is not this world. The one woman will have a child naturally. But the, and, and so, but the woman who is barren is the one uh, who will bring in, usher in the kingdom of God. Um, so the freedom that we have in Christ is the freedom, an apocalyptic freedom, that frees us from the elemental principles, the two-dimensional understanding of the law. Now, may, I thought maybe we need to just pause here a minute and just define freedom. Um, what is freedom? You know, I think we often get the idea that freedom is freedom from all constraint. Is that a good definition? Freedom from all constraint? Is that even a possibility that you would be freed from any constraining factor? No. Embodiment? Language? Uh, well, I think there would be one way to achieve that kind of absolute freedom. In death. Nothing constrains you when you're dead. Um, so that sort of freedom is a contradiction. So freedom is uh, uh, the idea that, uh, you know, Paul has said you, you've been known by God. It's the freedom that we share in uh, that is still identified by Paul then uh, as being in relationship to God. Our freedom is contingent upon our relationship to God in this understanding. Uh, that while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the law. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are no gods. So the Galatians were pagans. They were enslaved by false religion, by the elemental principles of this world. And the irony is, that they're going to fall back into law keeping. Uh, they, that you know, he's described these uh, principles, the worthless elemental principles. Do you desire to be enslaved by them all over again? I think Paul is par comparing paganism and their their subjection to the elemental principles of the world to what it would be like to be under the Judaizers. It's a similar sort of thing. If we are free, it is this is Karl Barth, it is only because our creator is infinitely free. All human freedom is but an imperfect mirroring of divine freedom. So this is my idea here of the narrative. Paul is setting this freedom uh, in the idea of getting the story, putting our story in a larger framework. We have been freed from the constraints of the law. But you've got to get a picture that you've exited Egypt. You know, you're no longer uh, in Babylon. Uh, 
And so to go back to the law would be to go back to the wilderness, to go back to exile. Paul says we've been freed from the constraints of the old creation order. Um, The present Jerusalem is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is the mother of us all. With the idea of narrative freedom, and, and pers- the idea of personal freedom is corporate freedom. That, that is, that it is this free society that will engender freedom uh, within you. My, I have one more thought. And this is, if you let me get strange a little bit. Um, I just went through, I, I noticed that this, that in chapter 5 it especially gets heavy. But Paul talks about that a lot of the narrative is often about sex. It involves the seed of Abraham in chapter 5, castration, emasculation, a lot of illustration about birth, marriage, adoption, family. You know, Paul says uh, he talks about himself being in labor talks about the two sons of Abraham, the bondwoman, the barren woman, the childless one. He says in the things that we've been freed from, neither male nor female, uh, the way that we're saved is we cry out as an adopted child, Abba, Father. Uh, we, the, the issue that he, as he describes it, in five is do you receive circumcision and you know circumcision is pretty you know we kind of say this word but you know circumcision is as to it pertains specifically to human genderedness the male sexual organs and this is going to become clear because paul says well uh if you receive christ and uh, you go, you know, when you receive Christ, the law is katargeo. Uh, the law is suspended, is the way that he talks about it in Romans. Interestingly, he uses it here in Galatians in the opposite way. He say it, it says if you go back to the law, your relationship to Christ is now katargeo. I thought that was an interesting... That is, it's, you're being severed from Christ. Um, that in the sense to, you've rendered Christ inactive. You've put Christ out of youth, out, out of use. And then he says, I wish these people who are asking you to be circumcised would just go ahead and cut off the whole thing. I wish they would just strike the whole thing off. Paul's recommending emasculation to the Judaizers, but I don't think it's serious medical advice. Uh, the point is that the problem is not with the organ of relation, but with the manner in which they are thinking about. You know, organ of relation here could be either the mind or the body. Um, they have a problem 
And the, the idea that you just, uh, the, Paul's recommendation to just keep cutting is to point to. And then he says, I wish these people who are asking you to be circumcised would just go ahead and cut off the whole thing. I wish they would just strike the whole thing off. Paul's recommending emasculation to the Judaizers, but I don't think it's serious medical advice. Uh, The point is that the problem is not with the organ of relation, but with the manner in which they are thinking about. You know, organ of relation here could be either the mind or the body. Um, They have a problem and the, the idea that you just, uh, the, Paul's recommendation to just keep cutting is to point to the futility of the operation of circumcision. The problem is so serious that genital extraction does not begin to get to the heart of it. The point here is that sex, gender, marriage, birth, family, is either lifted up in this new story, this new narrative understanding, into this larger story of the marriage between Christ and the church, or one is left attempting to manipulate an organ, a mountain, a city, a principle, a law, and to make any of those things absolute is futility. That's the point that you cannot produce children of God in the flat land of humans.